Good evening. I'm ready tonight with 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. And I'm asking you to join me at that location in Scripture, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. The Apostle Peter's first letter is addressed to Christians who are undergoing more than the ordinary earthly stress and strain, though they certainly had that. They were suffering at the hands of those who were opposed to the activity of their faith in Christ. Persecution was the storm they were going through. Peter, therefore, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered their needs with assurance, hope, and appropriate warnings, but also instruction concerning continued duty. Persecution never offers Christians an exemption from their duty. So when New Testament writers addressed Christians who were suffering, they not only imparted to them from God assurance and hope and appropriate warnings, but also told them they were to continue the instructed duties that they had before God. In time of persecution, duty is not to be deferred or dismissed, but continued. It becomes more difficult, but remains our calling to be what God called us to be, even when we are surrounded by opposition. So now with that in mind, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is one example of a biblical concept each of us need to be familiar with. The biblical concept of stewardship, which means this. What you have belongs to God and therefore must be used to His glory. What you have belongs to God, so use what you have to His glory. That's the concept of stewardship in the Bible. When there is little or no pressure of persecution, when your routine of life is relatively peaceful, and people around you are kind and agreeable and cordial and helpful, stewardship is embraced with some measure of joy and pleasure. Peter is writing to Christians exiled and enduring a fiery trial of persecution. And he's saying to them, duty continues. And it continues in the form of this concept of stewardship. What you have still under persecution belongs to God. So use what you have to His glory. Good works 
cannot be dismissed or concealed or ignored even during a storm of hostility and threat. What you have belongs to God, and so use what you have to His glory. So our subject tonight is stewardship, as I have defined it, regarding what you have, belonging to God, to be used to His glory. And I'm going to make reference to this in terms of stewardship during the storm. Stewardship during the storm. Number one, use what you have. Let's just take that part of it. Do you remember the parable of the talents? We sometimes refer to it that way. It's back in Matthew 25. I'm going to go back there and read that for us. We're going to take a few minutes and read Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And it will further embed into our minds this concept of stewardship and the application we're going to make to that tonight. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, but I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless 
servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's so much in that illustration, in that parable, but I've read it to highlight one thing. Use what you have. You may not have what someone else has. You may be tempted to think you've been slighted or almost left out of the process. The point of this parable is use what you have, no matter how it might compare to what others have. Apply full energy and devotion to using whatever you have so that when reckoning time comes and there will be an accounting, it will be clear you applied yourself. You used what you had. What can defeat us is being distracted and discouraged by vain comparisons. As you read this parable, you may picture in your mind a little video playing out. And when the one-talent man looks over at his peers, he says to himself, they have more than I have. Getting his focus on that vain comparison, distraction sets in, and energy is therefore not applied. Responsibility is neglected, and at reckoning time, there's nothing to turn back. It is a failed account of stewardship in the case of that man. The takeaway from the parable is the essence of what we're looking at in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And it's this simple. Use what you have. Don't be distracted monitoring what others have. The aim is not to compete or defeat or outdo. Use what you have. No matter what the context, stewardship in the Bible always has this very simple essence. Use what you have. In the early church, special spiritual gifts were distributed by the Holy Spirit that we do not have today. Demonstrations of extraordinary power necessary during that early time in the category of the miracles that Bill talked about earlier, gifts that we don't have today. But in the church at Corinth, guess what happened when those gifts were distributed? There was jealousy and rivalry that betrayed the faithful stewardship principle. I want you to listen to some of this from Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm starting at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to, <coughs> to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Paul in this passage and in this context is pleading with the brethren in Corinth to exercise humility and self-control and to avoid vain comparisons and competition. Well, he has what I don't have. That damages the exercise of good stewardship. Use what you have. The same point is made in the book of Romans in chapter 12. In verses 3 through 8, here it is again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Here it is. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, in the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's that all about? It's this. It's this. Use what you have. That stands out in Matthew 25, in 1 Corinthians 12, and in Romans 12. Though we do not have miraculous powers, it behooves us with regard to the principle to discover what we can do, where we can serve, how we can work and serve, and become engaged with the energy that God supplies. Use what you have and reject the temptation to make vain comparisons. It is stewardship. For these people, it was stewardship during the storm. Serve one another. People who have dedicated their lives to serving God, as a product of that, will want to serve others. Begging will not be necessary. Praise or applause will not be required. People who have dedicated their lives to serving God, as a product of that commitment, will want to serve others. Consider just a few verses where this is emphasized. In Hebrews 6 and verse 10, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. When we serve one another, not only is there whatever immediate help we provide, God sees it. Even if nobody else sees it, God sees it, it pleases Him, and while people on earth may forget it or never know it, God says, I will not overlook it. Likewise, in Galatians 5, 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. One reason we were granted freedom from sin is to serve one another. Through love serve one another. We mentioned Romans 12. I go back to it now in verses 9 to 13. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Paul draws this up here in specifics. And the specifics are affection, respect, helping one another with needs and hospitality. In these ways and other ways, we discover in our knowledge of one another, we are able to use what we have, tangible and intangible, to serve one another. And in our text, Peter says, as each has ser- uh, been, I'm sorry, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Stop and ask yourself, what do I possess? What do I have that I can use to serve others? It may not be money. It may be time. It may be some particular skill. It may be the gift of being an encourager like Barnabas. Whatever I possess, I need to evaluate it, apply energy, and use it. In the New Testament, possessors are to become givers. It is stewardship during the storm. Continue to speak God's Word. Historically, there have always been cases during the time of persecution where those persecuted become silent. See, if you speak a message that brings on opposition, the temptation from the devil is to shut up, to no longer speak that message because it brings pain. Peter and John, in the early days, were told by the Jerusalem authorities Do not preach the gospel. This is going to be from Acts chapter 5 in just a moment. It didn't take much preaching of the gospel for the Jewish leaders to say enough. Shut up. Shut it down. Go away. And these men who were preaching the gospel early on were put in prison. But an angel of the Lord said to them, go stand in the temple and keep preaching the gospel. And they did. Acts 5, 24. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than than man. There's so much in that. No matter what the risks are, no matter how enraged people may be, how high the earthly consequences are, our attitude must be like Peter and John. We will not be silent. 
We have received God's Word in written form, and we're going to spread that message. The message hasn't changed. The need is still here today. The responsibility is ours. We will continue to speak God's Word through every opportunity, every legitimate medium, as long as we can speak and write and draw breath. Do you remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 26 and verse 2? You talk about a man under pressure and threat and facing risk and hazards every day. Jeremiah. But here's what he said at one point, Jeremiah 26, 2. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Do not omit a word. You know what that is? It is stewardship during the storm. Accept no credit. Give all the glory to God. It says at the end of our passage, to Him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Nowhere in all the New Testament writings is there even a hint that Christians deserve glory and dominion now and forever nor any mortal. Jesus didn't die for us to be applauded by the world, to be celebrated on stage, or to be admired as originators of a great plan. Instead, we are portrayed as people taken out of sin when we responded to God's grace in Christ. We are recipients of a gift we are not meritorious achievers. And so our watchword is, to Him belong all the glory and dominion, not just temporarily, but forever and ever. Listen, please. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Christians, Peter wrote to, in the face of a seductive and hostile culture, were to use what they had for the highest purposes ever to the glory of God. We are only here under the sun for a little while. This world is not our true homeland. We are pilgrims, sojourners, travelers toward an eternal destination of bliss. While we are here, we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God even as the storms seem to cover us up. We are to use what we have, serve one another, speak God's Word faithfully even as it becomes more and more hated, 
and all the time taking no glory, no credit for ourselves. Active, responsible, devoted, and growing, but never seeking the applause of men, never claiming glory or credit to Him. Belong all the glory and dominion now and forever. Amen. Let's be standing as we sing.